This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Good morning, Equalizer Extra subscribers. It's time for another episode of the Equalizer Podcast. It is episode 53 of the Equalizer podcast, and if you thought you were rid of me for good after my two weeks off, you were mistaken. Hopefully, uh, you're happy about that. I'm Dan Loletta. I've got Claire Watkins and Chelsea Bush as we take March into April and come inside two weeks until the beginning of the NWSL season. And Chelsea Claire, literally, as we were discussing what are we going to talk about, Sky Blue sent out the official word about Madison Tiernan. She has a complete tear in both her ACL and MCL ligaments in her right knee, officially out indefinitely, but we all know that means she is out for the season. During the week, Sky Blue found out that Mandy Freeman tore her Achilles tendon, and she will be out, the team says, most likely for the entire season, but I think we all know that is a full season if not longer. So the one team, and I had been saying that, don't sleep on Sky Blue starting 11. Tiernan maybe wasn't part of it. Freeman, I thought, was their best defender beginning to end in 2018. But the one team that really has no recourse to withstand issues to their depth all of a sudden uh, is in a bad way. And there were some rumors and word about some other players coming out of their most recent preseason game with injuries. So what do we make of the Tiernan and Freeman injuries and uh, and life at Sky Blue, Chelsea. I yeah, I, I agree that uh, depth is a concern with them, and I think this is um, again Freeman probably more importantly than than Tiernan. Not that Tiernan wasn't important, but uh, I, I think that, that Freeman's a bigger blow. Um, and and yeah, they they can't they really don't have the roster to to stand it. Plus, you know, not being able to sign a couple of their draft picks uh, doesn't help there. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm Denise ready, I'm, I'm getting on the phone with uh, some of the draft picks that aren't going to be signed other, elsewhere. Some of the, you know, trial lists that have been floating around. I'm, you know, she was already going to miss some players for the world cup. And this is just, you know, on top of that. See, I, I respectfully disagree. I think Tiernan is huge. Um, not only, not necessarily because we think of her as a natural, you know, starting player in the NWSL, but for a couple of reasons, one being she's versatile. She kind of played all over the field last year where she was needed. But in my opinion, Madison Tiernan, she was the believer, right? She was the one who openly and contra- not controversially, but in, in kind of a counter to what every other piece of news coming out of the club she was the one who publicly put her name out there and said, this is my team. I believe in us. We're going to prove you all wrong this year. Um, she's a Rutgers grad. Like she, she bleeds, she bleeds for this, for this team. And um, 
I think losing that more than anything has to be really, really hard for that locker room because even last year um, when you got kind of into the nitty-gritty of some of those Sky Blue games, uh, Madison Tiernan was working her butt off at all times and really trying to inspire teammates. She was vocal. She was trying to make things happen. And obviously her ceiling's lower than a lot of other players in the league, but I think that's a huge blow to the, the psychological aspect and kind of the heart of the club. I think that's a that's fair, fair point. And I don't know who else fills that void. You know, Skrosky is a Rutgers grad too, but A, not really a, a player that does a lot of talking. And I don't know if she's a player that when last we saw Sky Blue in September was on the believer list. You know, she's been quiet as she always is, but I don't know who fills that that void for from Tiernan from, I, I guess you could call it a leadership standpoint as far as that goes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she can still be part of the locker room as an injured player, though. It's in a different role, yes, but she, she can still make her voice heard. Right, and she's home. So um, the email here that I'm reading says that she'll recover at her home here in New Jersey. A lot of times players go, you know, literally home to recover. So whether she's going literally home or not, she'll be in New Jersey. So she should be around the team when she gets the surgery done and gets, you know, back on her feet. And really, I think you pretty much walk right away. It's just a matter of spending a lot of time in rehab after that. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful she'll be able to maybe take on, you know, what we saw that Stephanie McCaffrey did last year and, and get to be around the club as much as possible. Um, obviously, you would think that the club would want to keep her as, as involved as they possibly can, but also, I don't know if Sky Blue necessarily has the foresight to realize just how important she <laughs> might be. And every player handles that situation differently. I think for some they get a lot of energy from being the cheerleader. And I think other players go the other direction and, and have a hard time handling being around, but not being able to participate. And they start to feel like they're not part of it, mm -hmm. which is understandable because you can't do anything. You can't participate in drills. You can't, there's not a lot you can do. You spend an awful lot of your time rehabbing, but I still think if you look at the back line, I mean, who's their center back now? Cause I really, really thought Freeman had a good season last year. I thought she was one of the very few, on the field bright spots for sky blue start to finish you know stott was okay but she was also in and out of the lineup i thought freeman was pretty solid back there yeah, so got, yep go ahead they got still johnson now right mm -hmm. so i'm assuming you know she can play in the center she can play out and the right so she's an option um i really need to brush up on my rosters geez well certainly the <laughs> sky, sky blue roster i'm trying to think of their back line now Didasco. Didasco is there. Scro See, I think if this, if anything, this could benefit Skrosky because I think she is so much better as a center back than she is as an outside back, and they keep yeah. pushing her to the outside. So you don't want a player to you know tear their ACL to make it better for somebody else, but I do think um, that maybe getting Skrosky in the middle will be a blessing in disguise. So Skrosky and Johnson in the middle and Didasco out on left, or would you put Johnson out on right? Um, find another center back. That's a great question. I think Johnson's also better in the middle, and I don't think her or Skrosky are particularly fast. Um, and I'm trying to find their roster right now, too, and I'm struggling to get on their well, site. I, I don't know. And unfortunately, in at least one of their preseason matchups, I, I saw them tweet out their lineup. Tiernan was lining up at outside back. Okay. So Mian's played some outside back too, as I recall, right? I think so, but 
I don't know if that's really the op- you know you're if you're talking about starting eleven, that's not really want to be your option, right? Well, they've also got Jen Hoy listed as a defender. Oh Lord! On the roster, oh, they've <laughs> so also we know got how Claire feels about that. <laughs> they've also got Dominique Richardson, Domi Richardson listed as a forward, but she could be a defender. And Amadine Pierre Louis. I would also like to note that on their website that the play they have the roster listed with the photos, but you don't see the names unless you hover over the name. So whoever's in charge of the website there might want to actually have a running list of the names rather than just the photos. But it's going to be tough to field the back the back four. Dare they play a three back? Uh, I have some... no idea. Yeah, it's I if I had been able to see them in preseason at all, I might have some insight into that, but I don't know what they do. Um, I think I would say that I still don't necessarily feel like I know what Denise Reddy's vision is for the team. Um, I think probably likely anytime you have these kinds of utility players go down, I think that's going to put a lot of pressure on your starters in a variety of different positions to try to overcompensate, which is not a place where they want to start off. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure what they're going to do. Um, we'll also just have to see what rookies they sign. I guess because I guess you could do Johnson, Skrosky, Didasco. Although Didasco is so fast that I think you want to utilize yeah. that speed. You don't get that in a three back. Yeah, I think if you're going to do a three back with Didasco, you'd really want her to be more of a wing back than one of those three right. defenders. But you know, is a three back with three defenders better than a makeshift freeing up another player to go somewhere else? Better than just some makeshift four back throwing someone in a position they're uncomfortable with? Which you know, it's kind of a toss-up either way it's a great question because a three-back is sort of a five-back right in some ways yeah i also think it, that depends i always think a three-back three depends on who you have in your midfield and um i think you would need sarah killian to have a much stronger season than she did last year to do to make that work all right i'll throw out some names of players who appeared in their last preseason match amanda rooney kenny wright uh, Amandine Pierre-Louis, who I think missed all of her rookie season with an injury. Sabrina Flores. Uh, Paige Monahan, who was the first pick in the second round. Mackenzie Meehan. Gabby, and do we know anything about these players? I I plead ignorance on most of them. Well, Pierre-Louis was a good good player in college. Uh, I can say that much, so she's an option. Uh, I think maybe her and Didesco outside of Johnson yeah, and Strosky. Yeah, I think that's probably your best option out of, of the ones you've listed, because I don't know much about many of them. Flores I, has played for you teams, right? I think so. Yeah. Because I, I still think that Kawasumi and Dorsey, although Dorsey only played 30 minutes the other night and came out, we don't know exactly why. I still think Kawasumi and Dorsey as uh, wing players would be an interesting combination especially if they can figure out how to switch the point of attack better than they did last year right which would take a nice year i guess out of killian kind of running that midfield so interesting times uh for sky blue but again if you're just joining us and you didn't get it it's literally fresh news for us although we got kind of hints of it on social media that Madison Tiernan is out for the season with an acl and mcl tear and also mandy freeman a few days ago um tore her achilles tendon that's really a tough injury that is a hard injury to recover from because the acl 
like I said, you have your surgery, you're a little stiff, but I think they have you walking almost immediately after ACL surgery. The Achilles, that's the tendon that runs all the way up the back of your leg. It's usually a non, it's almost always a non-contact injury that can take an awful long time to recover from. And, you know, not to get too far off the beaten path of the soccer conversation, but we talk a lot about the low salaries for women soccer players. And I think that comes out even more at times like this because you've got a rehab and it's a lot harder to kind of supplement your income or supplement your life uh, if you're busy rehabbing an injury rather than being on the team's schedule. Right, yeah, absolutely. Okay, going back real quick. Sabrina Flores, yeah, this is what I thought. She she did feature, she played for the U-20s in 2016. She's been part of the U.S. development um stages and then kind of dropped off a little bit after 2016 so that's a player that i don't know exactly what her upside is but she could definitely be someone who sees some playing time with sky blue but uh yeah an achilles tendon oh my gosh that sounds so incredibly painful um and if you're already on the low end yeah that's tough it takes it takes a lot of perseverance i would think to pull yourself together and keep going after something like that now, what did you guys think? And I don't know if you mentioned this on last week's show because I admit that I did not listen to last week's podcast. But what did you guys make of the Taylor Smith signing for Seattle? Um, well, we mostly just talked about how just the circumstances that led to her being available for Seattle. But um, I think this this just comes from kind of talking about this year. And we can get into this a little bit more when we talk about the Reigns preseason. But um Vlako Andonovsky picks people up thinking about what he needs in future years. Um, and he obviously has an eye on what's happening in 2020. I think, I think Taylor Smith, not unlike a player at Sky Blue, like someone like Katie Johnson, for example, I don't think we know exactly what her full potential is because she's been, had a run of bad luck and has probably been miscoached a bit um, after having success in North Carolina. So I think... If you're pulling a flyer on her, you say, hey, we cover your minimum. We put you on a minimum contract. Here's what you're making this year. We'll cover your rehab. We'll get you into a healthy club environment. Let's see what you can do next year. I think there's a lot of upside to that, and I think that that's something that Vladko likes to do. I think Bill Predmore, too, the owner. Remember when Laura Harvey was struggling in 2013 and he gave her a four-year extension, which essentially covered two years beyond what either of the two previous leagues had even survived? And that was a pretty good leap of faith at that point to right. link Harvey to a long-term contract. I think when it happened, she was O and whatever they were at that yeah. time. No, I think it's it's the bigger philosophy that if if you don't have your employment weighing over you at all times, perhaps you're better set up to succeed. Uh, yeah, for sure. Which is great. I mean, you don't necessarily see that a lot. There are some owners and some leadership uh, coaches as well who take kind of a different approach. But I think that that's a very holistic way to look at it. Um, I'm excited to see what Taylor Smith can do next year. I feel like she's went from having the best possible scenario to one of the worst possible scenarios. Like she probably will never play as well as she did for the Flash, right? She never played for the – did she play for the Courage one year? Whatever it was for for the for Paul Riley, yeah. and then she yeah, went. Yeah, you're right. Maybe... No, she didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Did and she then played... she went. Well, she she did play for that, right? Yeah, she played better for the Courage than for the Flash. I I thought and that and then... was what got her onto the national yeah, team. Yeah, year and then one, she... year one of the Courage. Yeah, and right. then after that first year, she got uh, 
traded to Washington. Yeah. Right. And she was ter- she was poor. Let's face it. You know, she might not have had the best setup, but she was poor for Washington and fell off the national team. So it'll be interesting. It's also, I guess it's, I don't know what she would have done for rehab without getting picked up by a team. She would have, I guess she would have been responsible for it on her own. I mean, yeah. I mean, I said this last week, but that's the scariest thing to me, this idea that this player got stuck. I under, like, especially with the, if, okay, if clubs have to cover 65% of an allocated player's previous yearly salary, that's that's a really, really difficult thing to ask of a club to pick up once the player's been deallocated, especially because if the player's been deallocated, it's because their value to a team has significantly dropped. Uh, but then that also leaves the left this gap for Taylor Smith, where she went to the W League, she got hurt, she was out of contract, and she was just stuck. Um, which just goes to show that, I, I mean, the allocation system is messed up, and it's not really necessarily good for a lot of players. It's good for some players, but there are a few that, you know have a nightmare obviously Houston had a close call thought they were going to have to drop their deallocated player until they were able to find other funds um the well, until way... they found out about league policy about right. those funds right and so you know allocation you know people talk a lot about how allocation keeps clubs running but gosh it could sink you if you get stuck in this other scenario yeah and I don't blame Washington for a second for not paying her what she was owed for getting, you know, for keeping her if she got deallocated and everybody else at that point, including Washington, had the shot to pick her up and good for Seattle for looking ahead to to 2020. They'll, you know, like you said, they'll get a rehab. I mean, it happened in November, so I wouldn't be shocked if she's training fairly close to 100% by the end of the league season. You know, she probably, she's like, they already said she won't play right. this season, which you never know if that could change. But, I mean, we've seen people come back in nine or ten months from an ACL. So, you know, they're all different. So it's not impossible. Yeah, no, I think, um, I think it's a good situation all around. And and yeah, like I said, but I think if you have a reality where 65% of the reported allocated salary is what double the league maximum, it's hard. You're in a really tough spot. I think that the numbers right now, the gap is still just so big that I don't know what clubs or players do in that scenario. But isn't that for the players? I mean, I would assume the players want that in there, don't they? Oh, absolutely, right, because otherwise they drop down to, you know, what, 35% of their previous right. yearly salary? Because like, most most deallocated players are like Krieger and Barnhart, right. who maybe they're not national team players anymore, but they're still really good league players, where Taylor Smith was an average or worse league player and now has a bad knee. I think that's going to be unusual. Right. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But it does open up the thing where, you know, if the if the idea is that, you know, the club covers 65 percent of what the player was being paid before the come, you know, the come down isn't quite so steep. Player feels better. It's all, you know, fine. But if the club itself isn't over time, isn't empowered to have higher salaries in general, if that gap is still so wide, you do come up, you might come up against these scenarios where a club says, why should I pay double what I'm paying every other non-national team player um, for a player that's declining? And so basically in practice, in it, basically my whole point is in theory, I totally understand why it's in there. In practice, I think you might see more situations like Taylor Smith. Here's one more situation and then we'll go to the next segment. Let's say you're sky blue and you get a player coming off allocation there's literally nothing in it for you to match the 65% because if the if you don't, 
player goes through the distribution ranking order and you're first up. That's true. Right. This is the this is like this is the issue, right? Is is teams will look at what they could do based on based on the CBA agreement and then look at all the other scenarios and say why would we do that when we can do this? All right, we've got U.S. Uh, national team is going, or they are in camp. The Australian team didn't go quite so early. We'll talk about that and uh, a little bit more from Claire on her week in Portland. This is episode 53 of the Equalizer podcast. Back on the Equalizer podcast, episode 53, with a reminder that uh, you can rate and review this podcast if you love it and you want more people to discover good women's soccer content. It's a huge help to have your positive reviews about what we're doing. Rating and reviewing the podcast will help make it easier for others to discover it on your favorite listening platform. So if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review the Equalizer podcast. I'm Dan Laletta, Chelsea Bush, and Claire Watkins. And Claire was one of a couple of Equalizers out in Portland for the Thorns preseason invitational. And uh, I don't want to get too Q&A style on you, but just a general sense. Who looks good? Who doesn't look good? Any injuries we wouldn't know about if we weren't there? Uh, have at it. I know you talked about it last week, but there were more games since then. Yeah, Um so, yeah, the three NWSL teams who played in the tournament were the Thorns, the Rain, and the Red Stars. Uh, and I got to see, I missed the last kind of run of games, but from what I've heard, I think everyone just looked pretty tired at that point. So I think I probably maybe saw, I saw, so the first the first two games, uh, all international and national starters were available. So I got to see kind of the first, first teams uh, play each other a little bit. And um, in general, I would say, preseason that particular the particular game that you know was was the two NWSL teams were the Thorns versus the Red Stars and we talked about that last week but um it's kind of sort of the same deal U.S. players looked good they looked like they had been playing recently everyone else looked like they were still kind of getting back up to speed um not a secret to anyone who was following the starting lineups Vanessa DiBernardo didn't play at all uh during the preseason tournament which um I I no reason to panic. I just think that she had some off-season cleanup stuff that she's working on, and and you know that development just doesn't quite have her match fit yet. Uh, John Halloran put out a really great piece about where Morgan Bryan is at right now uh, for the Red Stars. So so they had some some major pieces that didn't see a ton of time. Uh, Danny Colaprico, I don't think played an entire match. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Wright didn't play the first game. A lot of that kind of stuff. So the Red Stars right now are, I think they're planning to be mostly full strength by opening day, but they have some, just some different, you know, everyone's on their different timeline to recovery. Um, the Thorns look good. Uh, this kind of takes us to the second round of games where I saw Chicago play uh, the Rain and I saw Portland play the U23s, which... That those rounds of games, um, you saw a lot more depth get tries, which you see in preseason a lot. Um, but is interesting specifically for a team like Portland, who is going to lose maybe nine of their starters to the World Cup. They're losing a lot of people. Um, 
the rain are losing quite a few people as well, as well as Chicago, though Chicago's, you know, with some of the the saga going on with the U.S. midfield and Chicago's midfield, Chicago might not be losing as many people as they had anticipated uh, going into the beginning of this year. Um, Portland's depth is it's interesting. It's going to be a deep drop, but I think that that's something that the Thorns coaching staff is anticipating. The question will be whether or not they can line up well against other NWSL teams and, and get out results. Uh, the tough thing with the Thorns is they're losing people from every single line of their offense. They're losing their entire offense. They're losing a bunch of their midfield. Obviously, they're probably going to lose Emily Sonnet in their back line, as well as A.D. Franch, who's likely to go as one of the three keepers. Um, they're going to be decimated by this World Cup break. So we saw a little bit of, of what they're going to try to do um, – during the break, which means probably just more direct, more physical soccer. I think we're going to see that throughout the league with those players gone. Um, but Portland is one to watch. I think the Portland that we see opening day versus the Portland that we see uh, the fourth game of the season with the U.S. gone and then the Portland that we see with all available internationals gone is going to be a very different team. Um, and then for the rain in Chicago, similar story with varying degrees. I think, uh, uh, not Seattle, not Seattle, the rain, <laughs> uh, are, are deeper actually than people might realize. I thought Darian Jenkins had a fantastic first game against the U23s. Um, I thought Morgan Andrews contributed quite well. I thought, um, who else played really well for them? They, uh, Teresa Nielsen had a really great game against the Red Stars on Wednesday, and she's not going to the World Cup. So that will be big for them. Um, Shea Groom didn't get a lot of time, didn't get any time in the first two games. I believe she played a bit in, in the third game against uh, the Thorns. So she'll be an interesting component of that. But it definitely seems, like we talked about in the last segment, uh, Vladko has planned for this. I think he has a vision for what he wants to do when he's, he's losing people. Um, and the other thing about the rain is we don't know exactly when they're going to get Jess Fishlock back. That will depend on Leon's Champions League campaign. Obviously, they moved on to the next round this week. Um, so she could be back soon or she could not be back until the middle of June, and we don't really know. Um, and then for the Red Stars, uh, and we can transition this maybe into what we're talking about camps. Sam Kerr played a lot of minutes for the Red Stars this week. Uh even that last, the last game, which it was a bit of a dichotomy because you had Yuki Nagasato and Sam Kerr playing a lot of minutes um, at the same time as some real deep Chicago depth in that midfield and in their back line. Um, Chicago's back line was, other than Aaron Wright, was all uh, depth players uh, on Saturday. So um, I think that was an interesting strategy. I don't know exactly what Rory James uh, was going for there, but I know that, you know, I talked to Sam briefly during that week and and she was eager to get as many minutes as possible to feel super match fit for that friendly against the u.s um she had a weird week gap where she had some visa issues and she was stuck in paris of all places so uh she was eager to get back eager to play as much as possible and i think this was true for all of the aussies um portland rested all of their internationals on wednesday but then played quite a few uh this weekend so i think they're Part of the conversation of the whole preseason tournament was minutes for the Australians going into that big friendly against the U.S. 
So yeah, Chelsea, you, that's my wrap up. There you go. Very good, thorough wrap up too. Chelsea, do you want to go ahead and run with that Sam Kerr nugget? Yeah, because I just I'm kind of coming at it from a different angle uh, from Claire. I'm not really you know concerned about minutes played, but I just thought it was very interesting that despite the fact that the Matildas are in camp in Colorado and have been most if not all of the, their players who were in the WSL stayed with their NWSL teams through this weekend's preseason's games while we all know the U.S. players have been long gone and it just it's really something when another federation respects a domestic league more than the federation that's supporting that domestic league does and this was something that kind of jumped out at me like they recognize that it's important for these players to have time with their teams in preseason, whereas U.S. soccer doesn't really give a damn, right? Since day one. Since day one. And I refuse to believe, and we've talked about this already, and we've talked about it for years before we started doing this pod. I refuse to believe these three or four extra days at the start of every camp will make the difference when it's the 75th minute of the World Cup quarterfinal. I, I just I don't see it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how much of it. I wonder, and again, this is pure speculation. I wonder how much of it is because the U.S. doesn't want these players playing these games. They they feel like match time has a deeper low side than an upside. Um, we, you guys were both at the event at the final last year when Becca Rue talked to us. Mm-hmm. Right. And she said she's the um, she's the lead lawyer for the U.S. Players Association, and she said that the players w- don't want to be leaving their NWSL signs. So I don't know if that applies to March and the Thorns preseason invitational, but she seemed to th- hint that the players don't want to leave the teams either, and that that's something that they're working on. But it's hard to, you know, it, it's hard to believe that. I'm cer- you- yeah, I'm certainly of the opinion that they play better when they have more time with their clubs than um, when they don't. I think that it makes sense to me why just even mentally why a a player would want to just get into a routine and feel good about it going into international games. Yeah. I believe that the players do want to be spend more time with their clubs, um, but they're not really the ones making the choices here. Well, that's also true. That is also true. And, you know, and in terms of the players that aren't allocated, I don't really think that makes a difference because an un, a non-allocated player is not going to say, nah, thanks for the invite, but I'm going to hang here for a little bit longer. That's just, just not reality if you're actually trying to make it on the national team. Um, God, whoever that no, was. No, that's, yeah, just agreeing. Thoughts on the friendlies? You got Australia on Thursday in Colorado, and then it's on to California to play at what looks like a fabulous place, by the way, Bank of California Stadium where LAFC plays. Uh, knock, knock. Maybe there'll be a women's team there at some point. Uh, that's on Sunday against Belgium. Uh, I'm still fascinated by the Australia match because I still don't think Australia wants to win this match. I, you know, I think they've proved, maybe because they have a new coach, but I think they've proven enough that they can hang with the U.S. that they don't want this to be their you know, one shot to do it match against the U.S. I think they want to leave something in reserve. Um, yeah, I Sounds think 
That's a disagreement sound if I've ever. I don't. Well, I don't know which. I guess maybe my question is, I don't. I'm not entirely sure what you mean by Australia. Do you mean their coaching staff or do you mean the players? Because I think the players really want to win that game. (laughs) I think they do, but I think my particular opinion about Australia. Let's take the coaching staff out of it for a minute. I've been saying this for a year or more that they are good enough to have a. We play the U.S. in the quarters or the semis or whatever it is, and we have a one game where we just play lights out or score early and defend our hair off until the last whistle and we beat the U.S. And I just don't think they want to... I don't think they want a France-type situation where they beat the U.S. 2 or 3 nothing this week and go in overconfident or, you know, get the U.S. on this. You know, sometimes the power of the adjustment can can be all the difference in a tight sporting contest. So I'm not saying that they play to lose the game. I just don't think they want to play... You know, if they've got something that they think they can trouble the U.S. with, I don't know that they want to bust it out for more than 10 or 15 minutes on Thursday. Do you think Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter are going to not be able to overpower the U.S. outside backs? Not be able to? I think that Carpenter and Cat- I think Catley is better than any U.S. outside back. Yeah. Any day of the week, I think Carpenter. I think the jury's out on Carpenter. Um, I think if the U. I think if Australia can be on the front foot, then Carpenter can maybe dominate her side, especially with Catley on the opposite side. I think if the Australia has to defend a lot, then I think Carpenter could be in trouble. All right. Second question. I asked this last week. Asking it again. Do you, both of you? Do you think Allie Krieger is going to start this game? No. Hell no. Okay. Why? I just don't think it's in Jill Ellis's repertoire to bring in a new player and starter. Yeah, I I think we're going to see uh, Emily Sonny get the bulk of these minutes, if not all of these minutes, just fitting in in the pattern with what Ellis has done before. Um, unless Krieger has a lights out camp, I think her chances of of getting any real significant playing time are slim to none, honestly. Who's the last player to come in like this and start, whether it be uncapped or 98 caps? Who's the last player to just get like pulled in, quote unquote, off the street and start? Uh, Allie Long in 2016. Yeah, but that's this scenario, isn't it? They it's need. They quite need. Similar. It's really similar. It's where this player. This player's been. She's obviously a known quantity. She's been playing theoretically well for her club. You know, she brings something that the U.S. doesn't have. I don't know. I think she might I mean, so start. You, so do you if, think she will start? I don't know. I really don't know. I, I openly have no idea what the but, vision is here, but I think she could. Yeah. I but, okay, are you could. are you asking us what we think, or are you asking us what Jill Ellis thinks? Because those oh, no, are two no. different things. Well, no, I, I, I'm asking you what you think Jill Ellis is going to do. Yeah, Not so that's, starter. yeah. Yep. Not starter, yeah. Okay. If See, it were me, I mean, she's lights out above Sonnet. But. Sure. Okay. I would, if I were Jill Ellis, I would pick a game and I would play her 90 minutes. Right. No matter what. And I would probably Australia because they're better. Right. But I, I wouldn't want to bring her in for 20 minutes twice. I want to see what she can do for 90. If I was messing around with bringing Allie Krieger in for the final roster before the World Cup roster, I would play her 90 against Australia. I think I would too. Yeah. Yeah, but, that's what she should do, but it's probably not what she's going to do. Right. I just I just don't see it. 
It's also alt- an altitude match, so you get a, you get, and supposedly she's yeah, as true. fit as she's ever been. So right, she feels like know. she's twenty five. Yeah, don't they all do right when they get to that age? That's what everyone they all say. Yep. All right, we will come back on episode fifty three with your questions on the Equalizer podcast. Episode 53 of the Equalizer podcast, Dan, Claire, and Chelsea, and we are taking your questions, and we might throw in uh, one or two of our own. Don't forget, you can send in questions at any time to hashtag EQZPod. That's hashtag EQZPOD. First one from Gallum Cardner, Women's Champions League predictions, and if you're not in the know, they uh, semi-start April 2021. Lyon will host Chelsea, and Bayern Munich will host Barcelona. I don't see these teams enough to have too much to say about it, but it's hard to get by Lyon, as usual. Anyone watch these teams on a regular basis? I think whoever... I think... Oh, go, go ahead, Chelsea. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I think whoever wins the Chelsea-Lyon semifinal is going to win the whole thing. Sounds right. I think that the final is going to be Leon. I think and I hope that the final is going to be Leon and Barcelona because I think Barcelona has put together a really strong team and probably uh, has the best shot of beating Leon. I don't think Chelsea's going to do it. I think they're going to make a game of it. Um, but I, I think, as always, Leon is the team to beat. It's very boring. Yeah, I think we're. I thought Chelsea did quite well to last minute bounce out uh, PSG. So that was very exciting. Um, a little bit, not, I wouldn't go so far as to call it parody, but some, some excitement in, in the late stages here, which is, which is nice. And let's do away with the myth here that the team hosting the, at the back end has an advantage like major league soccer used to think, because if I'm Chelsea, I don't want to go to Lyon first. I want Lyon in Chelsea first and beat them two nothing and then know exactly what you need to do in Lyon and maybe bunker down. I don't, I don't, I think teams home first leg have a huge advantage in these things yeah especially if you look at you know if, if, you, if it on paper looks that lopsided that makes a lot of sense all right Aaron Crosley any word on the Richie Burke situation with Washington uh not a question that does not have some validity but no one's talking and he's the coach and um, you know, uh, look, it's a shortcoming of the media covering women's soccer. There are not enough of us, and we don't have enough, you know, very few of us, including none of us three, do it full time. So um, well, for now, he, he's the coach. Right. And they've also had some shakeup in their front office. Chris Hummer left uh, their president of yeah. operations, and I believe he had some staff leave uh, when he left as well. So I think, yeah, I, I'm not. It's a little bit of both, I guess. A little bit of both sides. Uh, I am that Sam I am. Which team does Sabrina Ionescu help most? If you don't know, Sabrina Ionescu actually plays basketball for Oregon, but Claire wants to answer this one. Yeah. uh, Well, today, Sunday, when we're recording, Oregon uh, just beat Mississippi State in the Elite Eight, and I was watching that game, and Sabrina had a – Another very good game. Um, she looks like a center back. She has the look of an NWSL center back um, in kind of a funny way. So I was thinking about it. I think that uh, 
if anyone needed a ringer, I think maybe uh, Sabrina Ionescu could go play for like the Houston Dash or something and be. Uh, she's she's got she's got height, she's got range, and uh, she could be your your, your set piece setter point. So now that's if, what I say. If, I think uh, Orla- Orlando needs to give her a call. Yeah, right. Now, if the U.S. national team was going to um, finger Huerta as a right back when she's a forward, can they bring in college basketball players and? Say that they can be center backs. Center backs, absolutely. <laughs> and then you know, if it's not, I don't know if she's a senior or not, but you know, maybe trying to kind of get the college to play them on the soccer team next year. Yeah, that would be that would be fun, but uh, I don't think the NWSL is competing with WNBA prices just yet. All right, um, do tastic predictions for the game U.S. versus Australia. We talked about it. I don't know that we did predictions. It's hard to predict friendlies. Um, I will say the U.S. wins a very sloppy one nothing or 2-1 game? I think it wholly depends on how confused the U.S. looks. Um, I think Australia could, Australia could run over them, but I also think that the U.S. is a good enough soccer team to withstand that. It'll just depend on the assignments given to which players and whether or not they're in their own heads too much. I'm going to say 1-1, but, and also I, I think that the key matchup to watch will be Ellie Carpenter versus Megan Rapino, which is really fun to watch too sometimes. And it's fun to hear Megan Rapino discuss it. Yeah, absolutely. After the fact. Um, I also, I want to kind of clarify in talking about whether or not Australia should play their best match. That might be different because of the new coaching staff, mm-hmm. because the new coaching staff might need this match to take the temperature of the team in terms of where they are heading into France, because they're not going to get a better match than this. So we'll see. All right, we'll combine to Jim Mashek. What do you think of Moultrie after her first few appearances and Michael Phillips generally? What is the value to a 13-year-old to go pro? Uh, how valuable are all the experiences from 13 to 21 from high school, college, and blah, 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 to gain skills and experience that she has to forego? Uh, Moultrie, in case you don't know, is Olivia Moultrie, who recently signed a deal with Nike, so she is now a professional player at the age of 13. Um, I'm going to start off here and just say that I almost like this route better than the NCAA because I have an awful lot of problems with the NCAA and how they do things and how amateur sports are covered and glorified and how the athletes, not that they get nothing out of it, but um, I don't think they get out of it as much as those around them get out of it. So I almost prefer that a young player go pro. That said, as the parent of a child who's almost 13, that is mighty young to be making this kind of move. Yeah, I mean, I saw her play uh, for the Thorns against the U23s on Wednesday. Um, And I just, I mean, it's a larger conversation. I agree with you, Dan. I think that we should start talking about avenues outside of... uh, the NCAA system. I think that that kind of stronghold should be challenged and should be questioned because I do think that there are other perhaps more viable ways um, for people to utilize their talents at a young age. However, a couple of things. Um, One thing being that um, Olivia Moultrie is only professional so far as that she has given up NCAA eligibility uh, to 
uh, have an endorsement by Nike, so or endorsement with Nike. So she is not professional in the fact that she plays for a professional team or in a professional right. league. Uh, laws as of this moment, um, rules: you can't play in the NWSL until you're 18. And you also cannot play in any other leagues as an American until you're 18 due to FIFA regulations. So she's professional in that she's not, she has no NCAA eligibility, but she's not professional in that she doesn't play professionally. Um, the other thing is that, uh, you know, I saw her play. I thought she held her own in the way that uh, she was very engaged. She connected, you know, well, I think she was present. It was clear that she had been training in that environment for a while. She also had to step off after playing about 43 minutes uh, because just, I don't know if it was due to fitness. I think it the idea was that it was due to fatigue. Um, it looked like she was 13. It looked like, I think, playing at that speed of play at that age is not necessarily viable. Um for extended minutes. Um, the other thing, too, is that, yes, she did play for the Thorns in the preseason, but as of right now, she can't do so for another five years in a real game. Um, that might change, but that's what we're looking at right now. So I think the good thing coming out of all of this is I agree we should be talking about other avenues to becoming a professional player, especially for in the women's game, because I don't think that necessarily uh, championing the NCAA system is the way to go, but there's a lot of caveats to what's happening with Olivia Moultrie, and uh, Caitlin Best wrote a really good piece about it, so if you haven't read that, go to Equalizer and uh, check that out. I uh, I have a lot of, of opinions on this. Um, to, to go back to what Dan said about not liking the NCAA system, one of the things I, I very much dislike about the NCAA system is the sports that are still allowed to go out and recruit kids. And I said that when she was 11 and, and committed to UNC, I said, that's ridiculous. You cannot expect an 11 year old to know what she's going to want to do in seven years. And I, I kind of feel the same way. Um, what, what is the difference between her going pro now and her going pro when she's 18? If she doesn't think college is the route to go, it's, 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 it's some money from Nike. And, and I think what the bigger deal is, it's the notoriety. The only reason we're talking about her is because of this. If she had just gone to the Portland Thorns Academy, as she's doing, and maybe you know played for them in preseason, we'd talk about it for five minutes and then we move on. Be like, oh yeah, that's fun. You cannot tell what kind of player she's going to be when she's 18 or when she's 22 or, or when she's 30. That you, you just cannot tell a player that young. We've seen high school players who can't make it at college. We've seen college players who can't make it as pros. We've seen youth internationals who can't make it as senior internationals. There, we have absolutely no idea what her ceiling is going to be. Um, if, if she and her family make the choice that she needed to make this declaration to go pro at 13, that's their choice. I'm not going to criticize anyone for the choices they do with their lives in, in that regard. But I don't understand why she, they felt the need to do it now and not 18. I don't think anything really is, is going to change. But, you know, um, I wish her the best of luck. For further context, Moultrie isn't the only development player that was rostered for this preseason tournament. Um, the Rain had San... Uh, uh, oh, gosh. They had a player um, from their development academy play on Wednesday, and, and I'm forgetting her name, and, and that's that's my bad. But um, the Rain... Uh, the Thorns also had a development player as their third keeper uh, on Wednesday. So it's... I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, I think that's great yeah, that's experience. Where... 
that's where and that's where the NWSL needs to go is this you know MLS does the idea of homegrowns very well um and and as do you know all the other men's leagues around the world um so that's where they need to to go is to aim for these academies and then you know work their way towards having you know U21 U18 development teams and and go that route I think that's fantastic right and and again I all of that stuff is good, but it, it's, it should be normalized. I think, um, I honestly think the reason we're talking about this is because she got a six figure contract with Nike and perhaps the bigger conversation is what is Nike's relationship to all of this? Um, these are the deals that were made, you know, it has to do with brand capacity and potential that they're seeing, um, and I don't think this exists in a vacuum. I think that the de- idea of development is very good, but there's money. There's real money involved here, um, which is both good I and mean, bad. Even if she flames out before her 18th birthday, Nike still gets all that buzz from signing this this 13-year-old. That's what they're looking at it from. I don't think Nike cares what her career goes on to be. I think Nike said, here's someone... I don't know if she approached Nike or if Nike approached her. You know, I have no idea what conversation went on there. But from their point of view, here is someone who's going to create this very big splash. And then it is. We're talking about it right now. I mean, it, it gains them a lot. They can put her in, in their commercials. They can go and and talk about, look how progressive they're being. Look how they're supporting the development of, of women's sports. You know, I think that's what Nike gets out of it. I don't think it has anything to do with her career. Yeah, and I do agree with Chelsea that, you know, generally speaking, the ages of 13 to 18 are very important, not only for your sports development, but for your emotional development. And, you know, I'm not going to judge the family either, but if it were me, uh, it's not something I would want my child to do at that age. I would want more avenues and opportunities to be open and in front of them. But not everybody thinks that way, so to each their own. One last question comes from Dan Lawletta, and it is directed to Claire Watkins. Um, was there any league, what was the league buzz like in Portland? Because for those of us who were not in Portland and who have not been to a preseason game and who didn't get to go to Sky Blue Media Day because they abruptly canceled it the night before and haven't rescheduled it yet, um, it kind of feels like the league is struggling for relevance even more so than usual did you get a better feeling did your excitement level go up for the season being around some of the people involved in the league um no that's not a yes absolutely (laughs) (laughs) i think probably not unlike the way a lot of people might experience things in portland the way i understand it the way it felt i'm just going to talk about how it felt it felt like everything excitement building and professional and run was through Portland doing it for themselves. Um, which isn't, you know, it's great. It's wonderful for Portland. I'm really happy that they have a, a, a vision for what they want to do this year. Um, but I think that the event itself was so good because Portland made it good. Um, and league involvement, I'm not sure there was any, um, I think this was something that Portland took upon themselves as they have in the past to get their, make their team better. 
and involve other clubs that they work well with. And I walked away very proud of all three of the NWSL clubs involved. I think the rain, Chicago and Portland are all really trying to do this right and set themselves up for success, not only this year, but years in the future. Um, man, four, over 4,000 people showed up to Merlot Field at the University of Portland yesterday to see the Thorns play the rain in a preseason match. That is stunning. what they're doing over there. And that has to do with their organizational um, commitment and, you know, what they are, what they have built and are building. Um, I would love to feel like this was happening above the club level, but I don't think it is. I think this is every, I think we know which teams are working really, really hard to develop these stories and build this narrative for themselves and the teams that are not doing that quite as well. And you see it both on and off the pitch. So I think this year is going to be the same. I think as of right now, no one's on TV. This is all about what clubs can do for themselves in their local markets. And Portland remains the standard. Kind of makes you wonder why there's no sky blue Washington, North Carolina preseason tournament. Yeah, I mean, they not? did play, right? Um, you know, they played a little bit here yeah. and there, but that should be a thing. And you can even tie it into season tickets in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, If absolutely. you wanted to. Get people in for $5 to see a preseason match between, you know, Sky Blue and North Carolina or, you know, Washington and North Carolina. That gets them in. That gets them seeing it. The barrier to entry is incredibly low, and that is what builds what you're doing for the rest of the year and maybe figure out if you can work it around u.s camp mm -hmm. to get u.s players in there for those teams involved so anyway chelsea what are you um how are you feeling about the uh not the league itself but two weeks out from the season does it feel like um we need a little boost kick in the butt here to get everyone going for this yeah because somebody at work last week asked me when the season started and I couldn't even tell her didn't help. that's how checked out it feels so that's not a good sign um yeah it, it needs it needs something it needs I need some hype yep absolutely all right well we'll do the best we can with the weekly equalizer podcast and next week we will give you a full preview of the 2019 NWSL season for Claire Watkins and Chelsea Bush, Aletta, you've been listening to episode 53 of the Equalizer Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Equalizer Podcast. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts and do not necessarily represent those of Equalizer Soccer. We thank you for listening and hope to see you next time.